Welcome to episode 22, Halloween. On this episode, Johnny and Eddie discuss movies that revolve around Halloween as well as other scary movies. Johnny talks about scary films like The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Eddie shares why he is no fan of scary horror movies. We invite you to grab some popcorn and your favorite beverage. Take a seat and put up your feet because we're talking movies. Welcome back. I'm Johnny Popcorn. And I'm Eddie Klieg, and we're talking movies. Eddie, I think uh, before we get started, I think you've got uh, something you want to state to the uh, listening audience, those that are out there in, uh, in the ether. Yeah, I just want to take a second and, and recognize and thank all of you that are listening with us, everybody new, old. Um, thanks for sticking with us. We hope that as you listen, our shows have gotten better and better this first season and uh we plan to jump out of the gates in the second season at uh at full blast so but i did want to just mention a few things here so i'm looking at the statistics that came through Mm -hmm. of course majority of our um, listeners are from the united states but let me read the other countries and then this is an order of how many they've done with or or, as the most i guess you'd say uh, United States, of course, France, Canada, India, Egypt, United Kingdom, Russia Federation. Those are actually the ones that are just listening in on, on Johnny Popcorn's uh, calls, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Kenya, New Zealand, Brazil, Indonesia, Israel, Pakistan, Bulgaria, Germany, Thailand, Australia, Ireland, Turkey, Spain, Finland, Republic of Korea, is that the good one or the bad one? That's the good one. The good one? Okay. Lithuania, Philippines, Greece, and Vietnam. Thank you to all our listeners. Yeah, no kidding. It's great. United Nations, we have to be, uh, that's really great. Yeah, I don't think the North Korea guy would allow them to, uh, um, even though it's interesting, Mr. Un likes American movies, so now, he probably has access to the Internet. The, right. the people don't, but he's probably sitting back there. So if we get a shout-out from him, I don't know what we do with that one. No, I don't know. <laughs> and that actually, regarding the shout-out, please uh, leave a comment, a review, um, or you know, comment just on our website. Uh, we would love it, and we want to be able to read that, that on, the, on the next episode and give you props for writing it for us writing in and, and, and commenting on it, um, especially this first season through the different different topics and actors and directors and all that kind of stuff. We want to hear that feedback so we know where in the future to go, although most of the stuff is off of what we like and all that kind of stuff. That's but right. We, we reserve the right to do what we want to do. That's <laughs> but we definitely want to hear from you, and we'll take any any uh, comments, uh, suggestions, even criticisms. Yeah, that's right. Please. Well, that's really exciting. I love that list of uh, countries. I knew the U.S., of course, and I know we're big in Boise. we got a group out there in Boise that keep coming back. But the rest of you in the, in the world, thanks again. That's, that's just terrific news. Time to ask the question, Eddie. Where are we going today? Well, Johnny, we're talking <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> this week is... Halloween, and uh, we're going to have a little party here. We have our candy corn. I would say bobbin for apples, but we don't. We should have gotten that. Our candy corn, that's, that's good. <laughs> um, so we're you know, excited 
to have this this episode. Johnny's going to run most of this because he's more into the horror and the scary. So yeah, I don't want you to be a scaredy cat now, yeah. Eddie. Come on. Just uh, be- before I turn it over to you, let me just so people understand. Um, I am not afraid of scary movies. <laughs> I love going to haunted houses and all that kind of stuff. My problem is when I watch a scary movie, I end up having these nightmares, so I avoid the scary ones for that purpose. So now back to you, Johnny. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> and it's a, if if you watch the ones I'm talking about, other than the the first one, which you're pretty familiar with, you would have some nightmares because they've stuck with me and and these go back a bit, and the ones I'm going to talk about, but little premise here, I'm sure, since we've talked about this, I'm sure that humans, literally since the dawn of time, have been concerned and frightened by things that go bump in the night. Although we no longer need to escape saber-toothed tigers, there's a part of us that needs to experience the thrill, albeit safely, of course, of frightening things. From literature onto the screen, there have appeared an array of monsters, think Frankenstein, for example, invaders, think aliens from outer space, creatures of the night, think Dracula, vampires, werewolves, witches, and such, to the more modern threats like mass killers with axes or machetes. And of course, the renewed interest in zombies, which I will address later, is another rediscovered shall we say, genre. The more disturbing from my perspective, though, is the terror that results from situations where there's a palpable yet unexplainable confrontation with evil itself. You talk about nightmares. And I have two movies a day based upon best-selling novels that translate such horror and terror from the pages to the screen. But first, since Eddie talked about Halloween, I'm gonna, I will give the first little glimpse here of one that um, many of you who like these kind of films is the title Halloween and it set the stage I believe for all the slasher films that came since then. Halloween the movie came out in 1978 and it made a uh, really a star out of Jamie Lee Curtis whose parents of course uh, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee were already stars in, in Hollywood but it deals with uh, Michael Myers, who at si- six years old murdered his, uh, back in 1963 on Halloween night, murdered his 17-year-old sister. They put him in the, well, the uh, sanitarium for about 15 years. But in 1978, on October 30, while being transferred for a court date, he steals a car and escapes, going back to his hometown, seeking vengeance on a variety of people. And that's where it starts. Now, this spawned a Halloween 2, 3, there's a whole bunch of them. But this is the original, and it, for a while, at least, Jamie Lee Curtis was called the Queen of Scream. And she was a pretty good actress anyway, and she showed her, showed her chops in this. But that's, that's that more modern, obvious, let's run. And since then, we've seen uh, what some of the others saw that's come out, a whole host of these track them down where the people were either using an axe or a sword or some kind of vehicle. They seem like there's there's tons of them. Because when I go to look at trailers, the app I use for trailers, it's like every month, like five, ten horror-type films yeah. that the trailers come out for. Most of them don't make it to the theaters. It's all like released on iTunes or stuff like that. Yeah. But 
It's crazy. People well, love it. Yeah, they do. And, and Donald Pleasance, who plays the doctor in this, a psychiatrist, he's also creepy in his own right because he played, he played. Uh, I think he played Blowfield in uh, one of the uh, Bond movies, and he's played a whole bunch of other creepy sidebar characters. If you want to watch a stylish version, this, I brought it. This reminded me that if you want to like it, if you like the slasher type film, but you want a stylish, sophisticated version. In 1980, just a couple years later, a movie by the name of Dress to Kill starred Angie Dickinson and one of our favorites, Michael Caine. And that's well worth a look. It's a pretty good film. All right. Got it started. We're on the theme. Take it away. <laughs> Is it my turn? Yeah. yeah okay, one. I got a short and Take sweet one, one because that's I don't fine. have much information on it. It's been a while since I've seen this. Um, as listeners may know from our earlier episodes for a while the majority of movies that i saw were normally disney related kids movies because of the two girls that i have this kind of is gonna go back to that the, the first one i'm gonna go with is spooky buddies <laughs> i'm sure did you see that johnny spooky buddies no i, I missed, missed that, that one. i missed that one I, okay you know, I only have so much time on that I can devote to movies, and it, otherwise I'd be doing nothing else. So I, I skipped that one somewhere along the line. Yeah, it's a 2011 film directed by Robert Vince, and it stars Butterball, B-Dog, Rosebud, Buddha, and Mudbud. They are the names of the dogs. They each got their own personalities, their own looks, their own owners, but they're always... Mud Bud, of course, is always in the mud. <laughs> Buddha is always the calm, you know, cool one. Uh, B-Dog is the popular big guy. Butterball, he just loves to eat. <laughs> and then Rosebud, who is the, is the female character of the movie. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not to be confused with Space Buddies, Treasure Buddies, Snow <laughs> Buddies, Super Buddies, Santa Buddies, Air Buddies, or Santa Paws. Is there a theme there somewhere? <laughs> It all has the same five uh, dogs as the main. I've seen them all. My favorite, I would say, is a tie between Super Buddies, Space Buddies, Treasure Buddies is pretty good too. They were went to like a um, a pyramid and found jewels. And is stuff this like that. animated, or is this where they use oh. the dog and they? Uh, do voiceover for the actual dog type of thing. Exactly. Or the that, dog's talking type of thing. That's what it is, live action. Now that I like. I really, I, I, I like animated. I, I have no problem with animated. But I think it's really cool when they take a real dog. Well, they've done the one with, with that other guy who just did the voiceover for the dog in that more recent movie. Which one is that? I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's a sequel to the, uh, he's the Labrador and he's, because the first one, he died with Jennifer Aniston. The dog died, oh, and now they've done the sequel. And there's that actor we kind of avoid talking, who did the voice oh, of the dog. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Go ahead, Kevin Costner. Not again. Next time, folks. Next time, I'm going to tell at the beginning of the show my Kevin Costner story, because. Kevin Costner, if you're out there, Kevin, we need to contact him because he's gotten a lot of pub from us. Just inadvertently, he exactly. pops up on every every show, every show because he's linked to so many of these films for whatever reason. So anyway, that's what I think. And that's what I was wondering because 
I like that when the dog. Yeah, I, I think and they're smarter than. Oftentimes, they're smarter than the actors anywhere that they're in the movies with. Right. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, because they get away with you know they. Right. M most of the success of this is based off of, or the, or the reason they did it was, the original Bud Air, which was an uh, adult dog yeah, and yeah. played basketball. I think. I think there's one where he's basketball, one he's soccer. But, anyways, that's what this kind of goes off of, and the the description of this movie. The puppies go on a spooky adventure through a haunted house. Or, I'm sorry, a haunted mansion. I believe, like, the end of the world's going to happen if somebody gets a hold of something and then yeah. <laughs> they so, have to find it and these didn't all give that you, stuff. These didn't give you nightmares. This one didn't give no, you nightmares, no, did it? No, yeah. no, no, no. And that's a little sidebar. It has nothing to do with movies, but I happened to see on TV today. You know, with all this thing, you talked about the haunted houses. Everybody, they take the... The, the people from various TV shows, they go visit a haunted house, they film what's happening, and so on and so forth. Well, they were showing this little kid in a mall. They have these, for the kids, they have these little scenarios set up, and there's one like, it's like a dog house. And if you approach it, this spider pops out. It's a guy with a spider on his head or something, a big thing. Well, this little kid, instead of being frightened, started punching it. <laughs> He just started beating on it. And the guy finally has to say, stop, okay, I get it. It was the funniest thing. He, he was not frightened at all. He just attacked it. Wow. If you get a chance to see it, it's pretty funny. They showed it this morning on the Today Show thing. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so anyway, nothing to do with it. But it is theme. It's a Halloween theme. Halloween theme. Well, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So that is my, my first one. We're going back here. This is 1968. And with all we've talked before about indie films and things that are done on a very shoestring budget, that's Eddie's department. To, with, And this one was made literally on a shoestring, 114, I think it's $114,000. This started the whole thing. Now, that the, we talk about currently Fear the Dead, The Walking Dead, these serials that are on television. There's been this whole genre of zombies revisited it used to be zombies were something to do with voodoo and it was occasionally mentioned and there was a couple of movies way back when but this started the whole thing off in 1968 a guy by the name of george romero who basically became the father of the zombie films this was done in pittsburgh pennsylvania on a shoestring budget as i said in black and white with local actors he filmed in a farmhouse where some alien form or something happens that sends this something from outer space that causes people to rise from the cemeteries and this group of individuals are barricaded in this farmhouse and the whole movie is about them striving to survive these zombie attack and you can only kill them if you shoot them in the head so they but it's done in black and white i know from a fact that the blood is made they use bosco chocolate sauce for blood i mean they were talking but i'm telling you if you watch this this was done in at the time that vietnam there's a lot of social commentary it's only a what's it, it runs 88 minutes but this will give you nightmares it still resonates there's a lot of social commentary that's it's not obvious until you see the context of the film and who the hero is and i'm not going to give it away but it even from the opening credits, and I before we did the show, I brought it up on YouTube, just the opening music for this little film that made a big impact. George 
Romero went on to make three other movies after this. One of them takes place in a mall. But he became the expert on the zombie thing. And, of course, this is just carried through to today. You watch this one. And what makes it really chilling is the fact that it is in black and white. And it's done with, today we call it, when they did the Blair Witch, you know, the Blair Witch Project and all that handheld, and we see so much handheld now. This has that same whole movie aspect. But the content is so good, the production values get out of your way. You're so caught up in the story. This will give you nightmares. So if you watch it, watch it in the daytime. <laughs> Do not watch it at night and don't watch it alone. <laughs> but that's it. Uh, there was some reviews here. Uh, I want to see one. This one guy wrote a review. Surprisingly restrained in the splat department. This revs up the tension. They're talking about the conflict that goes on continually. And one by one, these characters are dispatched. I mean, the hands are coming through the wall. They're trying to barricade. We get down. It's like the Alamo against the zombies. So it's pretty scary. And it's a very jarring, unexpected end. So that's the thing that will really resonate. So anyway, that's Night of the Living Dead. 1968 with a cast of basically unknown Pittsburgh local actors. Wow, that's cool. Ready for my next one? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, next one we're going with is Monster Squad, 1987. Right. Directed by Fred Decker. Some of the stars, Andre Goer, Robert Keeger, Keeger? K-I-G-E-R, Stephen Machette. I am terrible with names. And of course, the scary German guy who's in the movie—that's what his—that's what his name is. They call him the scary German guy, Leonardo Cimino. He was on the TV show V. Most of these actors, oh. when you go back and look, they—they've been in movies and TV, but they're like you know, yeah, one off, like and Murder that, She Wrote and all that. Well, these these fall under what I call, uh, and I I try to remember great character character actors you see all the time, like the guy that played the warden in. Uh, in uh, Shawshank and so these people you see and then certain guys you, you try to remember like Clancy Brown we talked about these fall into the category you're sitting there watching like you say a TV and say oh I, that guy was in that other thing right that guy was over the, didn't we see him last week in that thing <laughs> you don't know who he is but he keeps popping up right, he's right. a familiar face yeah I get you because those names do not ring any bells, ring any bells right now <laughs> It was written by Shane Black, oh, who also wrote oh, Lethal Weapon. Absolutely. Um, and that, he wrote and directed Iron Man 3. He's directed mm-hmm. a few things. Yep. Oh, yeah. And the later Lethal Weapons, he was actually, he didn't direct it. He wrote it, didn't direct it, but he was in it as a character, not a main character. Yeah, of no course, character, but he was in yeah. it. So I thought that was interesting. And so it, it's about a 12-year-old Sean... Crenshaw and his best friend Patrick, they're diehard monster fanatics, along with their friend Horace, whose nickname is Fat Kid, which nowadays there may be some pressure to change that name, (laughs) and their junior high tough friend Rudy, Sean's kid sister Phoebe, and little Eugene, they come together and talk monsters. But when Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Gill Man, which is basically the creature from the Black Lagoon. I love him. And the mummy come to their small town to get an amulet to control the world. 
Sean leads his friends into action to protect their town from the forces of evil. It's pretty cool. I mean, I'm going to have to watch that one because I kind of remember when it came out, but I did not see it. But I love all those, you know, back in the other old days, in the 50s, <laughs> early 50s, uh, Abbott and Costello, the comedy team, they made a sequel because they were with Universal Studios, and Universal had Wolfman, Dracula, all stuff, right. all, and Frankenstein, and all those creatures. They appeared, so they did the Abbott and Costello with Frankenstein, and then it, we're, which is really kind of cool. This is what it kind of reminds me. You bring all these characters. Yeah. Hey, we got them in the. Hey, we got them in the closet. Let's bring them out and make a little more money with them. Type Basically. Of thing. <laughs> And I mean, and parts of it is, I mean, it's not scary, scary, no, but, no, but the Dracula is definitely set on getting this amulet. He wakes up uh, Frankenstein and mm-hmm. and the others come around. You may have to um, take a look at that. It's pretty funny. There's one scene where the, um, so uh, Dracula has to go sleep because the yeah. sun's coming up. So he asks his friend Frankenstein to go get uh the diary, it's the diary of um, Van Helsing. Yep, yep, Van Helsing. Yep. Uh, his diary, because the only way to destroy the amulet or do something with the amulet is a virgin must read a passage from the blah, 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 blah. So anyways, so he sends Frankenstein to go get it. Well, Frankenstein goes and Phoebe, the little daughter, the little um, sister, uh, she's playing tea or something and he comes up and you know he's coming, and then the scene goes to something else, and then they're like, "Guys, guys!" And they're like, "What? What? Come see my new friend!" And it was Frankenstein holding her, holding her finger, That's, and and that is taken from the movie uh, Frank, which was redone in Young Frankenstein. That whole scene that this big creature is accepted by a young child. Now, in the original, I think he throws her in the water, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it doesn't end well. It doesn't end well in the original. But, <laughs> but that whole thing about she doesn't see him as a bad guy. And and in this movie, he actually isn't. Mm-hmm. She teaches him how to talk, like mm-hmm. bogus, and you know stuff like that. <laughs> Brings and, him up uh, to date on more modern vernacular. Yes. Yeah, and he, he plays a big part at the end on what happens at the end. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of funny parts. The a guy comes into the police station and says, put me in a cage, put me in a cage, I'm going to turn into a wolf. And of course, a little while later, he's he's in the back of a, a van and then he turns into the wolf and he you know, kills people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mummy, there's one scene where he jumps up on the, the truck, the kids are trying to get away. And the, the one, the middle school guy had a bow and arrow and he took a part of the mummy's one of the straps from the mummy, mummy, and then shot the arrow on a tree, and then all of a sudden yeah, it right started on right. and all of a sudden the, the mummy's like, "Ooh!" <laughs> and then it. Um, so there's there's stuff like that, and one of the famous lines that sticks with me that I knew even before watching this thing again is uh, they're in they're in the house and the Wolfman's there, and and Horace, who is nicknamed Fat Kid, um, they tell him to kick him, you know, kick him where it counts. So he, he kicks the Wolfman, and he goes, Wolfman has nards. So it's a quote that I remember. Mm. A couple of trivia points. Mary Ellen Trainer, she is the mother of the lead, uh, the brother and sister that are in this. Uh, she was also the mother of the lead siblings of the children that were in Goonies, hmm. 1985. Um, 
Now, there's a been a, like a controversy. The film is said to be a blainted ripoff of the more well-known kid horror adventure, which I don't know about kid horror adventure, yeah. The Goonies, 1985. Yeah. But it really isn't. I, yeah. There's no... I, I don't see the... Yeah. I don't see the and then lastly, Liam Neeson was considered for the role of Dracula a role he would later go on to play in the Mel Brooks film, Dracula, Dead and Loving It. So, that's all I have. This one, oh. Now, this one is, uh, there is a bad news here. Budget was $12 million. It only made $3,800,000. So it lost a lot. But it's one of those cult things because I see it every time this, you know, Halloween comes around and it's at this time of year. This movie's on, and, and people watch it. Yeah, and the the one good thing, if if they can still sell DVDs as a long time after that was made, when you're in a seasonal thing, there's only so many seasonal ones like the Christmas stories, although they a lot of them regenerate, but the classic Christmas ones you've seen a hundred times. Right. You watch them every year. You don't care. It's just part of what you do, and it's kind of that. At Thanksgiving or at Halloween, you would look around and say, what can we watch that's consistent with the holiday? Right. And you don't see it till next year. But you do it. As a, then you get more family members in. And Grandpa starts getting into it with the grandkids. And pretty soon, it's everybody watches it. Yep. I grew up. Uh, I didn't grow up, but it had a niece that when we'd, when we'd visit, we had to watch The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, which I liked anyway. But that became a traditional thing. Whenever we had gift exchange, before we did the gift exchange, we'd watch a couple of either those shorts or a particular movie like uh, the Santa Claus or something like that. Right. So that became their family tradition. So, cool. yeah, that's... I may have to take a look at that one, though. It sounds kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, you'd think, oh, you got these Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, Wolfman, all that stuff. They're not campy. So it's not a campy movie. There's some yeah. comedy in it. But um, I would actually recommend it, so... Well, again, here's another, you could call this sci-fi, but this falls under that uh, because there's an influence here from outer space. But the theme, because this film was made in 1956, yeah, we're going back a ways. The overtone here is because the Cold War was going on. There was a lot of suspicion about mind control or being controlled, uh, overrun, and so on. And this film, directed by... Don Siegel and starring Kevin McCarthy and Dana Winter and a, a host of other character actors who you'll be quite familiar with if you watch the film. Again, it's black and white. But this thing, when I first saw it as a kid, made a big impression. I love to watch it. It's still scary. It's still something to a, a source of conversation. I'm talking about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. This is the original, not the remake by Philip Kaufman in 1978, which takes place. It's in color. That's in color and takes place in San Francisco. Not, not nearly as scary, not as uh, concerning. And this works again because black and white makes this just so frantic. Anyway, the story is, if you're not familiar with it, Santa Mira, California. Miles Bennett, Dr. Miles Bennett's baffled when all of his patients come to him with the same complaint. One of their loved ones seems to have been replaced by an emotional imposter. They have no emotion. Nothing startles them. They don't care about anything. And despite others' just denials and dismissive denials, 
he and his former girlfriend, played by Dana Winter, and his friend Jack, played by a guy by the name of King Donovan, soon discover that the patient's suspicions are true, and alien species of human duplicates grown from plant-like pods is taking over the small town. And the great fear is you have to stay awake because then they become horrified that this isn't a random thing. Those people that were taken over are actually raising these seed pods in fields and distributing them around. So when you're, they go to sleep, they place one near or under your bed, you become one of them. So when you, when you think about the films that have followed, like the Stepford Wives and some of these things, this set the tone, and he's, he, of course, becomes aware of this and is trying to get the authorities to believe him. Well, they only, he has to get out of town, but they're trying to get him. And he's t he and his girlfriend are trying to escape, but they're getting tired. Can they stay awake long enough to get out? It's a chilling thing, and when they see what's happening, they see these replicants, people that look like them that are coming out of these pods, I'm telling you, it is scary. This will give you nightmares, Eddie. And it, it still resonates with me. I remember it. I can see the scenes. And I watched it several years apart from the first time. And whenever I see it or able to catch it on the late show, it is still a scary film. The reason that Don Siegel, if that name rings any bells, he became a pretty good director of some significant films. And the one that's most significant, as I've told you, a couple episodes ago, I had read the uh, biography. I was reading a biography of by Mark Elliott of of uh, Clint Eastwood. Don Siegel directed Dirty Harry, and one of the other subsequent Sudden Impact, one of the other ones. But it's Don Siegel's direction style that influenced Clint Eastwood the most. Less dialogue, more action, shooting, not not long takes. Although Siegel took more takes than Clint. Clint's one of those guys that they can always explain. I see it. That's good enough. God, let's move on. I'm playing golf at 2 o'clock. Get out of here. That type of thing. And if you watch Clint Eastwood movies, he actually knows what he's doing because if he does it that way, he gets it. He gets the actors. He has respect for the actors, doesn't want to waste their time or their performance. Uh, but anyway... That's a little sidebar there, and it is, uh, he's credited by uh, Eastwood as having significant uh, impact on his film career. There it is, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1956. So my next and last movie that I have is, uh, is one of those movies we do watch every year. It is called Hocus Pocus. I know. Yeah. 1993. Bette Midler. Is that Bette the one with Bette Midler? Yeah, Bette Midler, yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimy. Okay. So this is directed by Kenny Ortega, who um, any kids that are listening <laughs> would know. He directed the high school musical movies and uh -huh. the Cheetah Girl movie. Basically the Disney, a lot of the Disney um, movies that had the songs and you know, mm -hmm. Uh, dancing and all that, right. like jazz. So, so Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimy play Winfred, Sarah, and Mary Sandersons. Three hundred years have passed since the Sanderson sisters <laughs> were executed for practicing dark witchcraft. Returning to life thanks to a combination of a spell broken before their demise and the accidental actions of Max, the new kid in town. The sisters 
have but one night to secure their continuing existence. So this is uh, this is a pretty funny one. I know this is actually Bette Midler has said that this is her favorite role that she's ever played. There had been really? rumors. There had been rumors of maybe a second one. I don't know if they've completely. Well, they may come back. Currently at Disney World, on certain nights they have what they call Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party, mm-hmm. which I have attended recently and one of their big stage shows at the end of the night it's right in front of the castle there's a stage and it has the hocus pocus it has these th- the three sisters and um people love it so you know the demand and all that kind of stuff they may actually make a second one i'm not 100 percent sure um, so there, there's a lot of cool scenes in this um she raises a guy from the dead so there's a zombie that's chasing them, but then ends up turning into a friend. <laughs> There's a trick-or-treat scene where the the three witches come in, go on the street, and, you know, the kids are running back and forth in their costumes, and at first they're like, well, what's going on? And they realize it's it's kids. Uh, Mary Sanderson has this knack. She can smell kids when they're coming. I smell one, you know. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. A couple of the trivia I have the role of Max Dennison, who's the main character in the film, that was originally offered to Leonardo DiCaprio back when he was young. Yeah, when he was. He turned it down to appear in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Which turned he, out to be a pretty good decision, actually. It lost money, so I don't know. I guess well, it was a, critically, it was good right. for his career. Yeah, 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 he got critical re- reviews on that. And Jennifer Lopez allegedly, auditioned for the role that Sarah Jessica Parker plays. So I thought that was interesting. Mm. Um, There's a lot of lines in the movie that actually are similar to lines that Bette Midler had done in in movies. But one one thing that I thought was early in the film, there's Mary says to, to Bette Midler's character, Winfred, thou art divine. And Bette Midler is known for her nickname, the Divine Miss M. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of call-outs for that. Uh, there's also a scene where Gary Marshall and Penny Marshall are they're playing husband and wife. It's during the trick-or-treat because uh, Gary Marshall's dressed up as Satan. So they come to the house and, you know, they're trick-or-treating or whatnot. And <laughs> they think it's the real devil, you know, and he invites them in and they're like, oh, master, and all this kind of stuff. But... I mean, he's just handing out candy. He's just a normal guy. That is that is all I have. Oh, the budget for this film was $28 million, and it grossed $39,500,000. So made a little bit of money. But again, it's kind of like the other one. It's like a like a classic. You watch it every year. Right. So. Right. And it's, and, and those are those are great films to have around. I mean, and I like I like Bette Midler. He's, a couple of other films she made, uh, I really like the Wives Club particularly. Uh, I I thought she was terrific in that one, but it's right. or uh, Wind Beneath My Wings. Oh yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to close. My third one is actually two, but I'm putting them together because they're of the same. I, I said earlier in my little introduction that some there are some films where you come face to face with evil incarnate, if you will. And 
We did a show on bad film adaptations, and both of these movies, which were fairly successful, in fact, the first one says it's, uh, first one I'm going to talk about says it's the ninth grossing film of all time in Canada and U.S. I don't know when that was said, but they took in $110 million. Pretty big. Wow. When it came out. This movie came out in 73. But both of these films are based on novels. I've read both the novels. If you want to scary, keep the lights on, Eddie, if you read any of these, because it's going to scare the heck out of you. And both of them were written, the screenplays were written. The reason they work is that the author of the novel wrote the screenplay. So it translates well. They're well cast, too, with top talent. But the fact that the screenplay parallels the book. So when you read the book and saw the movie, it's just chilling in either instance. The that, first They should do that more often, you know. They, well, sometimes, sometimes the author's not alive. but Yeah, that's true. It, or sometimes he, he's a stickler for staying with the book, and the director said it can't translate that way. we got to shorthand it. Sure. And if you don't want it, then they get... What's the old uh, thing? Uh, creative differences is yeah. what they say. It's always creative differences. So that sometimes, it didn't happen in this case. However, the second film I'm talking about, they made some sequels, and he did not write those. He only wrote one book. But the first one I'm talking about is The Exorcist, which made a star out of Ellen Burstyn. And it's a terrific film, if you haven't seen it, and it's a terrific book. As I was telling Eddie, I had I was I was... Three quarters through the book, when a group of us, when it opened, went to the, I hadn't finished the book, and we went to the movie. And I knew what was happening, and it it was exactly as the book, and I had visioned something. Sometimes you don't vision things the same way it comes on the screen. I was pretty much in lockstep with what was happening on the screen for obvious reasons now, because the same guy wrote it. And I didn't know how it ended, though, because <laughs> I hadn't finished the book. So I'm sitting there with everybody else what in the heck is going to happen here? And if you don't know the story, it's one of the most profitable horror movies ever made. And it's a tale of exorcism. So there's a religious overtone here. We're talking the devil. You said about the devil. Well, here we go, taking, uh, taking form in someone. Young Reagan, that's Linda Blair. This made her a star, too. Definitely. She starts acting odd, levitating, speaking in tongues, and her worried mother, who's an actress who is in Washington, D.C., on Georgetown University, I believe it is, where they have Catholic priests. And while she's on the movie scene, her daughter is having all this stuff going on, and it's medical help, but they can't find anything wrong with her, so they bring in a local young priest. He thinks she may be seized by the devil. He makes a request to perform an exorcism, and the church sends an expert. The exorcist arrives, and that's Max Van Sydow, the classic Swedish actor, to help with the difficult job. There's a sidebar here that somebody wrote that if you think you, and I added your child, is ready to see this shocking film, keep in mind that in some audiences in the 70s, they passed out. They because they have seen what Dick Smith, he was the makeup guy, did with the character. Right. I mean, we've got he, her head swivels. She throws up some green goo on <laughs> on the priests, and she shakes the bit. I mean, it is it's pretty compelling, and it's dealing with evil. You know it's present, but how do you control it? How do you overcome it? Is faith strong? And you know, there's all these overtones. But it is a chilling film. 
and it's a chilling book directed by William Friedkin, the same guy who later or earlier had won the, the Academy Award with his Academy Award film French Connection. Uh, but William Peter Blatty wrote it and he, he wrote the book and he wrote the screenplay. And uh, it's a very, very good film. Uh, the second one, which parallels a similar theme made just a year later, uh, or actually, I should say three years later. That came out in 73. This is The Omen, starring Lee Remick and Gregory Peck and a young uh, David Warner. Most people, if that doesn't ring a bell, David Warner played the uh, the guy, the inspector, the bodyguard on the Titanic oh. who's trying to help get DiCaprio away from Kate Winslet uh, for his boss, the her fiance right but this deals with an american diplomat and this was written by what's the i forget the the author's name here let me just i think it's turner it was directed by richard donner who is a terrific uh, director the, all the music and it's pretty over heavy overtone music by jerry goldsmith david seltzer wrote the book and he wrote the screenplay and as i said he didn't write the two sequel films that came after this because it's a trilogy the omen one omen two william holden's in the second one but this deals with American diplomat Robert, is his character, uh, Gregory Peck. They adopt this young man, Damien, when his wife Catherine delivers a stillborn child. And after Damien's first nanny hangs herself, and Father Brennan warned, and there's a priest that warns him that this Damien guy might not be, this child may be somewhat evil. He, he will try to kill their unborn child because she gets pregnant again. Shortly thereafter, that priest dies, she miscarries, Damon pushes her off a balcony, blah, blah, blah. All these bad things are happening, and the Gregory Peck has to investigate his background and comes to realize that his son may be the Antichrist. And if you remember, anybody out there remembers their Bible, in Revelations, the beast is marked by, you'll know him by his number. And one of the things, there's a chilling scene when he discovers that the Mark 666 is in his hair, in on his skull, under his hairline. Oh, oh yeah. I tell you, uh, I tell you, you can watch this in the daytime and it's still scary. Don't watch it at night. Don't watch it alone, Eddie, because you will have nightmares. But read, if you want, to, if you want terrific books, read them, either one of these. And I tell you, keep the lights on. Keep the lights on. But they're good films. They still hold up. I watched part of The Omen not too long ago. It was on TV. I have to take a look like we talk. Oh, that's a good scene. I got to watch this one. But Lee Remick, who I love, she died far too young. She was in several movies I really liked. And she's very good in this. And again, what carries both these films is the acting. It's good characters, but they got good actors in the character roles. So there you go. The Omen, 1976, and The Exorcist, 1973. Those are my scary movies, and I, they're they're faves of mine. The Omen did pretty good at the box office. Budget was two point eight million. Well, that's that's pretty cheap. And it grossed sixty point nine million. Yeah, and so that and, was pretty good. And The Exorcist, as it said, I don't know when those figures were were touted that I that I caught one hundred and ten million dollars. And in nineteen seventy three, that's a big bunch of money. I don't know if they. Again, when I see these figures, I never know if that's that's what it was then or they've already calculated in today's dollars. That's what they never 
quite make that clear. If that's 110 million in 1973, that's a blockbuster. And everybody was going to see it. And word of mouth, because so many people had read the book, is it worth going? Should I go see it? Is it change it? I don't want to be spoiled. Go see it. Recently on a show, you're talking about a movie. It was an old, old movie. And then we had a statistic that if that movie, that, that amount of money today, if the movie was made today. It was today, like 600 and some million dollars. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was quite a bit. Yeah. I forget what it was, but yeah. So when you put it in today's out, because again, going back, remember my Disney, when I went to the Disney films, it was 35 cents. And then it was right. up to a dollar or a dollar 25. I don't know what it cost us in 1973 to see this. And this would be a, they might've pumped up the, you know, this is a big film. So they had another 50 cents to the ticket or something, but you're probably under $2. Buck 75, I'd almost bet at the, at oh, the max. Yeah, probably. So, if they took in $110 million and $175 a piece, you know how many people are going to the film. <laughs> and that's what matters, you know, as our friend... Uh, oh, Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson. That's, uh, and if he's putting them in the seats at 6 and 7 and $10 a pop, depending on where they are, like in New York, a little heavier than some other places, he gets paid big money. That's why they pay him the big bucks. I wonder if he gets a percentage. That's the, the popular thing nowadays. You take, yeah. You take less money. Like Robert Downey Jr., mm-hmm. he took he got a lot of money up front, and then he got so much on the. I mean, well, didn't you just <laughs> didn't recently you were talking about Sandra Bullock? Didn't she do? It was a Gravity. I thought. You, I think if my mind is working yeah. right, she took she took a percentage or something, and she made a bundle. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was Gravity. It was something. Something. Yeah, I remember. Oh, Blindside. I think it was Blindside. Yeah, that's it. Blindside. That's she it. She took a very small paycheck, but she got a percentage, and the movie did a few hundred million dollars. Yeah, so I'm sure she yeah. got a yeah. a nice piece yeah. to it. She was terrific in that. She was just great in that. Well, that's all I got, Eddie. Uh, what's the clock on the wall tell us? Well, Johnny, looks like it is that time again, but before I turn it over to you. As always, we thank you for listening and subscribing to our show. If you like our show, please leave a review through whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. Anyone can listen for free on Apple Podcasts or iHeartRadio. New episodes will drop every Monday. We have two shows left in Season 1 of We're Talking Movies. We hope you've enjoyed them all. We would love it if you would comment, good, bad, whatever. Let us know what you think of Season 1. We will read your comments on air over the next couple weeks. You can send your comments through our website, DM us on Instagram, or tweet us at We Talkin Movies. Also find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash We're Talkin Movies. We would love it if you would like our page. Although Season 1 will be coming to an end in two weeks, don't you worry, Season 2 will be premiering on the first Monday in December. I said this last week, this time I mean it, Next week, we will announce Season 2's theme and how you can possibly be a part of it. That's it for me. Well, that's that's good. That's good. I We really would love to see some of those comments, and uh, we look forward to it. Well, it looks like that's all for today, folks. Until next time, keep your eyes on the silver screen. And as we fade to black, this is Johnny Popcorn and Eddie Klieg saying so long till we're talking again.
the set. 